Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. We want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR, 855 AM, or on 3cr.org.au. Firstly, I just wanted to give... A warning that there will be some discussion, information around self-harm and suicide. Uh, you're welcome to tune out for the show if you need. Otherwise, if you need support, you can call Lifeline on 131114. So I wanted to start today's show to let people know, if you didn't know already, about some suicide attempts that had happened at Kangaroo Point at the makeshift hotel detention centre in Brisbane. There has been three men who have been detained there for some time who in three different situations have all self-harmed. They have had limited medical attention and continue to be detained, whether that's at Kangaroo Point at the hotel detention or whether that's in hospital. You can always look up more information with the Refugee Action Collective on social media and of course various refugee rights groups as well. So we're thinking about those three men and anyone who is detained. We're going to be playing a song by Farhad Bandesh with Cruel Policy which is about the cruel immigration detention policies that this government has. And of course, Farhad was also detained by the government on Manus Island and also in Melbourne at the hotels and at Mitre. So we're going to start off with the song by Farhad. Thank you. 
Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. You're on Refugee Radio and we were listening to the song Cruel Policy by Farhad Bandesh. And again, please keep up to date with the situations that are going on at Kangaroo Point for all the people who are detained there in the hotel. And we're going to be continuing to be playing the podcast The Wait. We are now going to be listening to part of episode three. This is a podcast which has been produced in Indonesia and is going through the lives of those who are not able to make it to safety in Australia or on other lands. Have a listen. The Wait was recorded in Indonesia and produced on the lands of the Darawal, Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. This episode contains details of suicide. Listen with care. There are times when this weight, being stuck, is literally unbearable. We are here in front of UNHCR headquarters. Already start hunger strike and we chant. This is what I have to do. I have no other way. Last year, refugees were holding demonstrations in six cities around the country. We went to the Jakarta demo together. It felt like a final act of desperation. Yeah, no food, no water. It's very, very hot and humid here. Are you worried about safety and health concerns with over 20 men hunger striking? Actually, I don't care about consequences because my life here is like, this is not human, human being's life. I was trying to hide behind you. The place was crawling with security. The policy which is going on in Indonesia is hugely a part of Australia's policy. It has become a national-wide demonstration. It doesn't matter from which nationality. We want resettlement! We want justice! We want justice! For us, refugees living in Indonesia protesting isn't done lightly, but people are still taking the risk. Why are refugees around the country rising up in protest? And what are they risking? I'm Mojgan Marafizadeh. I'm Nicole Kirby. This is The Wait, 
a podcast series that uncovers how Australia is pushing its borders out. And brings you into the lives of refugees like me who are caught on the borderline in Indonesia. So it was me that wanted to go to the demonstration in Jakarta Mojgan, not you. I'm actually not really the protesting type. I don't like to get involved in the street demos. Even the advocacy work that I do actually creates tension in my family sometimes. And my father, for example, he prefers me to keep my head down and be quiet because he's afraid that it ruins our chances of resettlement if I speak up. Even back in Iran, I wasn't politically active. But here, in this situation, these circumstances, I really can't stay quiet. And it's the situation that had made me start doing what I do and be an outspoken advocate. Yeah, now in Jakarta, you do a lot of advocacy work. Yeah, I do lots of meetings, talks, awareness raising and distributing donations. It's more possible to do it in Jakarta rather than other parts of Indonesia because where we are now, there are a few NGOs, but in other cities, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. So there is a big community of refugees in and around Jakarta, but there's also refugees scattered across Indonesia. That's right. And as a refugee, I can't travel to find out what's going on in those places. If I was caught, I'd end up in detention. I took a flight to Makassar on the island of Sulawesi. When I met refugees there, the mood was stifling. It was like this stagnant feeling weighing through the air. It was so different to the community that you'd introduced me to in Jakarta. What happened when you got off the plane? I went to this rundown old hotel. It's been converted into an asylum seeker accommodation now. When I went there, security was hovering around. They were watching every movement I made like hawks. Maybe I knock again. Oh, okay. I think I'm just outside your room. Yeah, where are you? Should I stay here or go somewhere else? I met Hussein and his family there. Hi, cooking. Inside bathroom. Inside toilet. Already three years. I cooking inside toilet. Hussein and his wife have five kids and they live in these two small rooms. There's a picture of the Sydney Harbour Bridge on the walls and not much else around. No furniture, really. We sat on the ground and they told me about their family. I am from Iraq. My name is Hussein. 32. And you're showing me on your phone pictures of your family's Australian citizenship certificates. My family all lived in Australia. Uh, almost 11 years, and my mother teacher, my father mechanic car, and my brother uh, also mechanic, sister also doctor. Hussein's hoping to get to Australia on a family reunification refugee visa. I haven't seen any successful family reunification visas from Indonesia. I've heard of it happening from other places, but not from Indonesia. This community housing, it's a really sad place. It's where Hussein and his family were sent after being locked up in Kupang Immigration Detention Centre. Them sent me in Kupang. The Kupang, you don't know what Kupang. 
Yeah, Kupang is in the far east of Indonesia, right? It's quite a remote island. Yes. And put me inside jail three years, eight months. Me and my children in one room inside jail. I have five children. Cannot play and cannot do anything normal. Just children inside jail. What do you think, three years, about children, three years inside jail? They're very bad. And then we say, they make us in here animal. And also I am. Just I say, I wait. Hussain lives in Nagraha shelter. That's a shelter where just a few months ago, a young Afghan refugee took his own life, as if he was 22 years old. At that time, Hussain sent me a photo of the two of them standing arm in arm. Asif committed suicide in that building that they live in. When I heard that news, I was sad. But I wasn't shocked. Just now I don't care my life. Some animal, you know. You know the animal? Exactly some my life. Exactly no how different. Exactly like this, he have room. He eat, he sleep. He cannot do everything. Maybe animal more better from me. He can help woman. Just me. Cannot do anything. There's two kinds of refugees in Indonesia, really. The people who get no housing, no financial support, and most of us live in or around Jakarta. We basically try to live off our savings or money sent from our family and friends. But there's one problem, and that's the longer we're here, the harder it gets. Then there's the other group. There are around 8,000 refugees and asylum seekers in Indonesia that are living in community shelters, like Hossein, the one we just heard from. Almost everyone who lives in a city other than Jakarta or the mountains you know, surrounding it, they are living in one of these shelters. And they were put there when they were being released from immigration detention centers, and that's where they've stayed in ever since. These shelters are organised by IOM. Last episode, we heard how Australia is starting to pull back that funding. But this is one thing that they're continuing to fund IOM to do. In 2018, Australia reduced this funding and since then IOM has capped this caseload. So no new people are being let into these shelters. What about the people who are still in the shelters? The refugees and asylum seekers who are under the care of IOM get a basic accommodation and an allowance that is equivalent to 125 Australian dollars for a month for an adult and around 30 dollars for a kid to live on. You know, it's cheap to live in Indonesia, but seriously, this amount of money doesn't really get you much. In episode one, we saw what it was like for all the people who have no support at all. They're stuck in that military barracks in Calideres with no power, no water, relying on food donations. I mean, this situation is bad, but the Australian government funding is making a bad situation a little bit better, isn't it? Well, yes, but you saw inside Hussein's place. I also don't think that's a suitable place for a family of seven to live in as well. What else did you find in Makassar? 
When I went down to the main part of Makassar, there were hundreds of refugees demonstrating. They were outside the UNHCR building, holding banners and megaphones, families, kids. It's not possible for him to record his voice. I met a group of men over the road. He doesn't like to uh, record his voice. Okay, so we will record you just interpreting. Is that okay? There are about six of them, and at least half of them had recently been detained. 13 days ago. He has been released 13 days ago and has... Uh, In Indonesia, immigration and local authorities are responsible for refugees and asylum seekers, not the national government. So the conditions can be really different from one place to another. But I heard that the head of immigration detention center in Makassar is particularly harsh. Yeah, that's what I found when I got there too. Refugees and asylum seekers are being arrested and locked up without having committed crimes, not knowing when they'll be released. If you get phone or anything after that, they will punish you. As we were sitting there in the park, this Sudanese guy, Yusuf, arrived. They put you in a small room, two meters or three meters, for three months, two months inside. You cannot walk in, we cannot go anything. Just toilet inside, water inside, everything inside. Like really jail. It's not like, you know, detention center. Because there are some restrictions that apply to all refugees and asylum seekers in Indonesia and breaching them could land you back in detention. It is like jail. They punish us like criminal. And for people in Makassar, there are all of these extra rules and regulations. For starters, everyone has to report to the immigration detention center each month. You cannot ride a motorbike, you, can, you are not supposed to drive a car, uh, you are not supposed to get out of the city, I'm in Makassar, and uh, you cannot work, being in, re- in relationship with the local girls is forbidden for us. From uh, 6am until 10pm you're free to move around. After that if we get late, so you'll be put back there, <laughs> to the detention centre, yeah. These men are the key organisers of regular demonstrations in Makassar, demanding a fair resettlement process. They say, we will arrest you, Yusuf, again. I say, no problem. Just I make demonstrations specifically for ask for my right. You want to arrest me? Please arrest me. I am not afraid. I cannot die inside my accommodation. Because already, you know, every refugee, they hate the life here. Really, this life, I think better to we die. Because we, most of the refugees, they, you know, miss the hope. How was the feeling like when you were talking to them? What were they like? Yusuf was reckless and ready to go, but the feeling was tense. Everyone was cautious, nervous to even be talking to me. Every single refugee who participated in this demonstration, we all feel the same, you know. We are ready to be taken back to detention centre because we have been threatened. This protest was in front of UNHCR, but they were also protesting in front of the Australian consulate. We have done everything we could. We write to the UNHCR, we wrote to uh, embassy. Now we have uh, protested as in front of the Australian consulate. They uh, responded us with a letter and they actually indirectly encouraged refugees to go back to their country to our country where the war and conflict is still going on, which means go back to your country, die there, don't die here. Junaid is a Rohingya refugee and he's quite outspoken and is trying to advocate for his community. 
So this is a system that uh, designed to oppress refugees. Many people have committed suicide and many people have actually died in these systems. If we were supposed to go to Australia by boat, we have taken the boat long, long ago. We have no intention to go to Australia by boat. It is not worth risking our life to go to Australia by boat. Who does not welcome refugees? Australian government has to stop telling this, you know, to the citizens. So, yeah, you're right. Like, a lot of Australians think that refugees in Indonesia are sitting here waiting to hop on a boat to go to Australia. If that's not what's happening, what's happening here? Well, we are waiting for the UNHCR and the other resettlement country to find us resettlement through the uh, UNHCR humanitarian uh, resettlement program. The next day, I was boarding a flight when I received these messages and videos over WhatsApp. Nicole, police arrested all of us. Please report this to everywhere that you can. It wasn't until the flight landed that I found out what had happened. 26 people had been arrested after a peaceful demonstration in front of the Australian consulate detained without charge and held indefinitely. So, Risco, can you tell us what rights do refugees and asylum seekers have under the Indonesian law? So, actually, Indonesia has ratified eight out of nine the UN Human Rights Core Conventions. So it shows, actually, Indonesia acknowledged its obligation to the fulfillment of human rights, even though it hasn't ratified the 51 Convention on Refugee. But in practice, in real life, we are experiencing lack of rights. Yeah, Indonesia has ratified many conventions, has agreed upon many rights. But in practice, it's a, a whole lot different things. There's just one organization in Indonesia providing legal aid for refugees and asylum seekers, and it runs on very minimal resources. They tried to advocate in this case, but without much impact. Suaka is the Legal Aid Institute of Indonesia's Refugee Rights Program. I've volunteered there as an interpreter before, and I've been mentored by their lawyers. Rizga Agianti is the director of Suaka. What access do refugees have to the justice system, and how does it work in practice? There is an immigration and also police officers who really wants a refugee being detained. On whatever reason it is, even they want to make up some reasons, immigration doesn't have a trial. They have the regulation on arresting people, yes, which says they should show the warrant consists of name, reason, and location of detention. But how many cases of arrest conduct with the proper procedure, especially toward refugees? I would say none. The regulation is there that they should have access to the lawyer, but in fact, it's very difficult, and it's all discretionary of immigration chief or police chief. And what's the maximum amount of time that a refugee or asylum seeker can be held in detention in Indonesia? Ten years. <laughs> in immigration detention centre, it's up to ten years. So that's it with the immigration. They have no trials. They don't really need an investigation. They just need a decision letter from the chief of the office of the immigration to arrest someone. 
The way Rizka talks about how arbitrary the rules are makes me think of something else that I've heard a lot about. Over the years, I've spoken to a lot of refugees who manoeuvre around the rules or even out of detention centres by paying bribes. For example, someone I know who isn't in Indonesia now got a family member out of detention by paying around 1500 Australian dollars one time. They'd never speak about it publicly, but it's like something that happens all the time. I've paid bribes and probably almost anyone who's lived in Indonesia has. Transparency International released a report in 2017 in which one in three people said that they'd paid a bribe just to get access to basic services. So it's a pretty ordinary part of daily life in Indonesia. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think that's what happened in Makassar though, but what happened when those guys were arrested? Police confiscated their phones on arrest and they were sent to the detention centre. In the end, they were held for 40 days. But at the time, we didn't know how long they'd be held for. And protests are cancelled for now, right? Mm-hmm. After months, they were tired and demoralised. Yusuf told me that he went back and staged a solo demonstration, but he says he was beaten by police and ended up in hospital. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're in Refugee Radio and that's all we have time for today. We'll be listening to the second part of episode three from the Wait podcast next week. Thanks for listening. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices, Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African-Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free.